0: Hello, this is Bill Curley.
1: And Holly Hudley.
0: And welcome to the podcast, In Between, which is an educational offering of
1: St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Hi. (laughs) Good morning. (laughs) Sorry, that just made me giggle because I think we were both waiting for each other to say hello. Um, yeah so here we are on another wednesday and it seems like from wednesday to wednesday to wednesday from day to day to day things change so much in the world and they sort of stay the same too
0: um i think you know i'm a seven on the enneagram and you're a six and i easily can drift into my sixness and get very anxious about the state of the world, which I am right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm anxious about Ukraine. I'm heartbroken about what has happened to the people, their homes, their culture, uh, the brutality that they are experiencing. And this is a subtext that we could talk about. I'm kind. I'm appalled that. Um, so many of we white privileged people are having this reaction about what's happening in Ukraine, when we did not have similar reaction to Afghanistan and Iraq
1: or Syria or Rwanda or, or well,
0: yeah. <clears throat> Syria. <clears throat> Syria really got me. I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, that was just uh, that was horrible and and brutal. But so uh, there's another whole subtext about the right white evangelical movement that's really in favor of what Putin is doing. Yeah. But I am concerned and I, you know, I'm married to this woman who takes the New York Times and she reads it. And usually at the end of the day, she will hand me articles or things that said you need to read them mm. so i refer to her as my research department. i
1: know <laughs> but
0: i don't do i don't do the news or the tv or anything in the morning because i have my daily spiritual practice yep. which yes. i do in the morning chart. oh i, I didn't and, know i was supposed
1: to fill in the blank got it okay yeah yeah you can do next that. time i'll know so, uh, uh
0: i pick up the paper and look at it when i walk out of the house i will just look at the front page and the front page of today's New York Times is that the experts are worried that nuclear is going to use some, quote, limited nuclear device. Yeah. And that would definitely be, I think, the start of World War Three.
1: Yeah. I mean, I really think that there is a, the people, the UN, uh, NATO, uh, U.S., are, are biding their time and really trying to... I've I've heard this man that I love and know very well say, "Let silence do the heavy lifting." That's from you, by mm-hmm. the way. I, in some mm-hmm. ways, okay. I feel like they're kind of trying to pressure Putin by not reacting with force, right? Letting some silence do the heavy lifting. I don't, I don't know if that will work. Suddenly, my puppy wants to play. She's still a puppy, um, <laughs> um, but. Yeah. I mean, you know, you say you're a seven and leaning into your six wing makes you anxious. Um, I was listening to a podcast yesterday between two women, uh, one woman who has been a, a lifelong kind of hero of mine. The two women are married, Abby Wombach and Glennon Doyle. And I'm an Abby Wombach fan because I was a soccer player my whole life. And well, not my whole life for a good chunk of my life. And They were talk. Their whole podcast was around uh, midlife. Uh, They're both in their forties and kind of uh, leaning forward into midlife. And Glenn and Doyle. Now I'm positive she's a counterphobic six on the enneagram. Was talking about how when she thinks um, about the possibilities of the world ending, she can like, I've got a plan. I know what I'm going to do. I I can. She she goes there. She considers the worst possible scenario, which is very six, right? Um, I'm really good at going to the worst possible scenario. So in some ways, and she named this, she said in some ways that actually alleviates my anxiety. Because if the world should end next Tuesday, I've got a plan. <laughs> and so I'm listening to that and I'm thinking, my God, this idea of the world ending and there have been so many moments over the course of our long history. That we thought the world was going to end. Y2K, right, um, was one of them in 1999 when the year turned over. We didn't know what was going to happen. So, this kind of world ending feeling what will we do? You know, um, in some ways, things are always ending. And you've been talking a lot about that. Things arise and things fall away. Things are always arising and things are always falling away. So, what do we do? I think that's. Uh, I
0: think uh, Martin Luther or someone was asked, uh, he was planting a tree at the time and and said, uh, if you knew the world was going to end tomorrow, what would you do? And he said, I'd still plant this tree. So,
1: yeah. 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 That's, 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 that was sort of her conclusion. And it's this, you know, the movie we talked about, don't look up um, and not spoiler alert. I want to be sitting at the table at the end going, we did the very best Mm -hmm. we could, you know, uh, the planting a tree analogy reminds me of Howard Thurman, who as a little boy walked upon an elder planting a tree, planting a pecan tree. And as a little boy, Howard Thurman asked this elder, why are you planting that tree, sir? You're never going to see its fruit. You're never going to be able to eat from that tree. And the elder says, son, I've been eating from trees I didn't plant my whole life.
0: That's so good. That's yeah. so good. You know, I, um, I've been to Russia. And, yes, I know. Um, I went from uh, went from Moscow to St. Petersburg, and all along the way, got to visit with the Russian people. They were our guides. They were our hosts. Um, and of course, for me, I mean, Sherry gravitated to wanting to go to symphony concerts, which we did, and perform our, uh, musical performances. I gravitated to wanting to go to Armenian and Greek churches and uh, Russian Orthodox churches and. See the icons and architecture, the memorabilia, and then go and hear these um, choirs sing this incredible Armenian music. That is just it's just incredible. And 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 when you go in the context of one of those um, churches, which in their own way are like the Gothic medieval cathedrals that speak to me so much. And I walk into a space like that. I see the artwork in a space like that, and I think, "Where in the world did this come from?" What, I mean, you know, it's just, it's it's like a spiritual consciousness made manifest. And mm. I look at the pictures of all of that now, just destroyed, just obliterated. And it's not that. Oh, they could rebuild this in five or six centuries. They'll never rebuild it. They can never redo. What has been destroyed yeah no i wonder if mr, yeah, if, I mean, if mr. putin wins the so-called war what is he gonna have yeah.
1: access to the black sea <laughs> mm. i don't
0: know i don't know you know either. i mean
1: it is really yeah i mean it it and, and, and again, you know, the, the destruction of, of beautiful artifacts, the destruction of, I think, art for me represents um, recorded human history. Art is always a mirror of what was happening in that time and place. It could be music, it could be uh, buildings, it could be churches, it could be frescoes. But art really is what has helped us learn about history. So even though those things are being destroyed, something else will arise. And I've been amazed, not just, uh, I'm sure it's happening in Russia too, because there are people who refuse to be silenced in Russia who oppose Putin, right? And that has happened in this country too, that there have been artists, and I've mentioned this before, throughout this very difficult and troubling time in America who have continually revealed new ways of thinking to us. You know, I think about, let's say, like the Confederate soldiers and the Confederate monuments that have come down Um, in Richmond, Virginia, specifically, this monument of Robert E. Lee, which did finally come down, became a public art piece in which people were protesting on it, in front of it. They put dances on, they um, they wrapped it. I mean, it it was just this beautiful process of revealing to us Mm. what is happening. So the monument fell away, but the process, the the response from the artist in real time was there, mm-hmm. you know. So what is hard to imagine losing are those stories. Art tells a story. And whenever we lose something uh, created by a, a human being, we lose a part of their
0: story. So I don't know what the theme of this podcast is. We didn't discuss it. <laughs> But I'm going to be shift. I'm going to shift gears really radically. I went home yeah. from work last night and after preparing supper, we're watching a new series. By the way, that I highly, highly recommend. One of the people that I see for spiritual direction recommended it to me, and it's called Afterlife. I've only seen three episodes, but it is. Have you seen it?
1: I haven't, but I've heard of it and you mentioning it and I've seen the ads for it. You mentioning it again makes me write it down and put it to my memory that I so want to the, check it out. The
0: man who recommended it to me asked me when I saw him yesterday, he said, are you watching Afterlife? And I said, yes. And he said, when you get to season two, you'll see how profoundly spiritual it is. So um, mm, mm. I want to pass that word on to people who might listen and are trying to watch something. So we... We watch only what we pre-recorded and other stuff because I just can't can't abide much TV. But I could not avoid the confirmation hearings of this incredible woman who's been nominated Mm -hmm. for the Supreme Court. And hearing some of the people interrogate her, inquisition her about things that, It just made me want to scream that a former president could say, grab them by the you-know-what, and never raise an eyebrow on the very people who are nitpicking this woman about things she doesn't even have anything to do with. So, yeah, there's my sixth angle. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that, right? Hey, it's sometimes it's righteous and justified. Um, you gotta let it, be careful when it attacks your body. But the, you know, she's um, Katanji, um, Brown Jackson is a, r- a remarkable woman and would be the first, as we know, black woman to serve on the Supreme Court. And I heard someone calling in and asking, "Well, don't you think it's a little bit limited?" Um, to, for Biden to only specify that he wanted a black woman on the, on the Supreme court. And this was in a Colin show on NPR. And the woman answering the questions was, it is a law professor at TSU, which is a HBCU here in Houston. And she said, well, you know, we've had limited perspectives for over 200 years on the Supreme court, all, most all from white men. So that he's specifying that he wants another perspective on the Supreme Court is actually intentional and wonderful. And why shouldn't we specify that we need kind of this multiplicity of perspectives? Um, so I thought she answered and she's absolutely right. It's, it's so easy, I think for, um, and we're seeing this happen in, in the room with senators and, and Congress people that for white men to feel challenged for their authority to be challenged because they've only ever known authority. And easy to sort of say, well, isn't it reverse racism? No, it's adding perspectives.
0: (laughs) Do you want to know the history of congressional hearings for Supreme Court nominees? They used to have them. Hmm. The president would appoint somebody to the Supreme Court and that would be it. And that
1: was that. Hmm.
0: But but they had one when when Louis Brandeis was nominated for the Supreme Court because he's jewish he was jewish Uh (laughs) uh-huh yeah and he had the same kind of hubbub uh get raised when um, john kennedy was running for president oh my god we're gonna have a catholic
1: right yeah did we need a hearing to approve him yeah i mean i think the club yeah yeah and that club is old and 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 really ingrained and i think one of the things that you've done so well over the years. And that I think we are trying to do together is to challenge that club a little bit. And when the club gets challenged, it has a reflexive kind of uh, defensiveness or, or constriction that happens. Um, it's really hard. I, uh, one of the things I've been giving a lot of thought to is how the body holds. hmm yeah how the body holds not just emotion, but how the body holds history.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: how things are ingrained in us to almost mm-hmm. have this physical response, you know
0: I had an interesting and I had an interesting encounter yesterday, Holly, that I've been mulling over, and maybe your decision about spiritual direction would <laughs> fit in fit in here i I had a conversation with someone who was incredibly damaged by her religious upbringing to the point that she uh, has a physical reaction to walking into a religious building, like into a church, she can't do it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, she's gotten into this space of some sort of cognitive dissonance because she likes what I do, what we do. And Mm -hmm. she's trying to make sense of how I can be part of a religious organization, particularly one that is Christian. And we began to talk about that. A really, really Mm -hmm. great opportunity for me to gain more clarity about why it is important, why spiritual perspective is important, which you know, my influence by Carl Jung about that, but also about how to articulate what that religious, I'm not talking about spiritual now, but what that religious orientation is in a way that maintains a kind of um, inclusive, inclusivity and generosity that fits our contemporary world. And, Mm. uh, you know, you just almost everywhere I turn, I see how white racism, white, male-dominated theology and teaching have been part of the church's uh, Christianity from the beginning. And what a struggle it is to move away from that. So, Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah. absolutely. I mean, I'm having to do a little bit of historical grounding for my dissertation, and I'm like in the writing of it. And in the 15th, century the pope gave permission to the portuguese to plunder western africa he basically said these people should be debased these people should be used as slaves the pope the pope sanctified that right and and we have a long human history of enslavement that, that, that is not new there, but what became nuanced there was the explicit use of black Africans as slaves and sanctified by religion, (laughs) right? And I think that we're still on, obviously we're still undoing that legacy, not just in the Catholic church, but in, as you say, the church in general, and the church has bled into so many pieces of our society. And I think about the spiritual harm that that does not only to black people who've come up in America under years and years and years of oppression, but also what it does to white people and I think there's healing that needs to happen there too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in, and for us, I think that that healing is about listening. I, w- I was thinking of this question what is, our, what is our song, our kind of redemption song to sing? I think our redemption song is silence, meaning white people. I think our redemption song is softening, learning to soften the body.
0: Mm-hmm
1: around this trauma because this idea that there is a racially superior group of people is so pervasive that it's almost unconscious in our bodies, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'm I'm really just kind of processing through, oh, there's something in our own bodies that needs to be released too.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that, um, you mentioned spiritual direction. I think one of the things that has become very clear to me is that, I, you know, this about me um, spirituality, justice, healing are all tied together for me. I think that healing injustices in our society is a spiritual problem that requires a spiritual solution. And I don't think that it's enough to do it one-to-one. Let me go talk to every single person in the universe or world and try to help change their hearts and minds. I, I think it has to be done collectively and in community. And I've, I've really, it won't leave me this feeling that um, because I think of the work we've been able to do together and because of your influence over a long time, um, i I really like to pursue spiritual direction, uh, not as a, I've done it as a recipient, but also as a, as a guide, right. As a person who can do spiritual formation, spiritual teaching, or spiritual direction. That's really calling me right now. And it's because I believe that
0: we need healing. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's so much to unpack here about how, um, you know, how do you talk about spiritual direction and not attach it to some religion, Jewish, Hindu, Buddha, mm-hmm. whatever, and um over the years, I have continued to modify my definition of what it means to be a Christian mm, yeah <laughs> right all right so um I I, I I my current definition of what it means to be a Christian is somebody who um, has a growing awareness of the values of Jesus and attempts to live those values mm-hmm. um. It used to be a different definition, but I've changed it in just the last two weeks. So change is wow. possible. Yeah. Mm. What yeah.
1: was it two weeks ago? <laughs>
0: um, two weeks ago, it was working uh, to have a relationship to the God of Jesus with the faith that this relationship will not leave us unchanged. But um, the the word God and the God of Jesus has become so theologically, historically problematic that I think I am once again agreeing with John A. P. Robertson. We ought to drop the word.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of like the word love. What do we mean when we say the word love? Um, what do we mean when we say the word God, there's, there's so many words that we can stick in there to define and redefine and rehash, but you're right. God has an automatic reflex for people. And that for some, it's very positive for some, it's very negative. There There's some it's neutral, but I think that that neutral category is probably smaller than the sort of positive or negative mm-hmm. category. Mm-hmm. Um I'm constantly having to retranslate um Christianese if you will mm-hmm. right in my own mind when I hear someone read something of scripture um however it's intended I'm constantly retranslating in my mind and I think that that retranslation is exactly where the church needs to be the church is seemingly so terrified of losing power <laughs> that it's losing its power Mm -hmm. (laughs) by Mm -hmm. not adapting, by not changing, you -hmm. know?
0: The more I have studied the documents that we have about Jesus, and you and I have been doing this deep dive into John, which are not anywhere near being finished with, but in John, Mm -hmm. and by the way, I've, I've become convinced that there are, At least three, maybe four writers, who composed John.
1: I wonder if there were some women in there. I I really do. Well,
0: you know, um, there had to be.
1: Yeah, I'm just thinking of the. There's so many stories in the Gospel of John, and there are in other Gospels too, uh, that are interactions with women. Oh, the the woman woman at
0: the well. well. uh the woman taken in adultery mary and martha the women at the tomb water into wine yeah yeah the the women at the cross i mean yeah they're there they're there they just don't get highlighted because Mm -hmm. the bible has been read and interpreted by men yeah yeah good old guys
1: yeah good old guys Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about how you, um, you were mentioning on Sunday, the first line in the beginning was the word, right? Mm -hmm. And that that's the unique contribution of humans that we have written recorded histories made up of words and that we're using words right now to express our consciousness. But before the word, and and you gave a small uh, allusion to this is breath. And the breath is what gets us in our bodies, Mm -hmm. attention to the breath. And you can tell I'm thinking a lot about how the body receives messages, how the body expresses messages, um, what our reflexes are and how to free us from our reflexes that constrict or bind us. But breath is even the predecessor to the word, right? And, And breath is the invitation to go within and then to go, to put what's within without. So breath is the origin of all of our expression. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's why it's a good, uh, that's why it's a good um, thing to use as a meditation practice. And also I believe the use of certain words as mantras, which has been true for, hindu buddhist they they own the market on meditation techniques going back for thousands of years so yeah that, that's something yeah. certainly to be considered and thought about mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um spiritual direction God yeah. knows we need it,
1: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think our evolution, our falling forward, if you will, is, is moral and spiritual. And we are in this moment um, of, of radical evolutionary consciousness changing. And I've heard it said, maybe you've said this. I know I've heard Matt Russell say this. Um, I've heard others say this, maybe Elia Delio. Anyway, it's enough in my consciousness that I have been able to retain it. <laughs> that the Bible from the Hebrew text to the New Testament represents an arc of consciousness, mm-hmm. right? And I think we're remiss if we say that that word is complete there's something that must come next. And maybe it is, as you say, the being of it, the becoming it, the going out and being God's people in the world. Okay, we have these texts, we can play with these texts for forever. But what does it mean to actually be in the text? And for spiritual direction, what I'm drawn to is this play between ideas, between mind and body. Mm-hmm. right? It, we can't live in this world of the mind. That is not going to change us. What is going to change us is how we live in the body. And, and I love this um, from <clears throat> various people, uh, namely Judy Canato most recently, but also other writers, is that Jesus's ministry was all about the world being In the world, in the body, relatedness, you know, so it's required of us to sort of be embodied Mm -hmm. if we are to heal spiritually or or morally, you know, and that's hard for us and, and I wonder if it's even specifically harder for those of us who have inherited kind of a white patriarchal Protestant Mm -hmm. religion.
0: So, If you or I left this podcast and uh, decided that we wanted to go to the synagogue today because we're Jewish or we wanted to go to a temple because we're either Hindu or uh, Buddhist or we wanted to go um, to a place where we could pray and hear Iman speak to us. Or we wanted to go to any one of the variety of Christian churches around. Anywhere we went, whoever got up to speak, even if it was Pema Chodron, is a mm-hmm. probably leading, most popular living Buddhist person in America today. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say that. Maybe not. I could be wrong about that. Maybe it's just a reflection that I respect her so much. So. <laughs> but even if we went to hear her, she would, she would talk about something from her tradition. So would the Iman, the Quran, the Torah. What the, the, the tradition would be. Mm-hmm. The task is not to ignore the tradition, and, mm-hmm. nor to be a slave to it. I think the task is to be honest with it.
1: Hmm. Oh, that's beautifully said. That's beautifully said.
0: Yeah. So that when, when I say, Oh, I have now concluded that John has at least three, maybe four authors. And of course that's not original with me. Um, that causes some people who revere the Bible as the word of God, a lot of trouble, but I think yeah. it's being honest with the text. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sure. I mean, this, that is a good metaphor for everything. We've got to learn to be honest with ourselves, with our histories, with the entanglement of our histories, the ways what, that our histories have collided with other people. We've got to be honest with that. And that is the only path forward for healing. I really think that truth telling, I think in the Jungian process, that was elucidation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this idea that we've got to elucidate what is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, everyone. in, in,
0: in uh, Islam, they talk about the five pillars. In Buddhism, they talk about the Four Noble Truths. I'm, I'm thinking that Christianity is based on the Trinity, but the Trinity is not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity is love, truth, freedom. I'm
1: so glad you brought up love. Because I had next oh. to us, just in case. Just in case. <laughs> um, it, just in case it became relevant. This was not planned, y'all. Um, you know, we both love Hafiz. Yeah. Um, and recently, I got this book translated by Daniel Ladinsky, and he's one of the greatest translators of the mystic poets. And he, it's a, called "A Year with Hafiz." So each. Entry is dated, starting with January 1st, ending with December 31st. And I just, when I got it, I just started on the day that I got it, which was probably March 5th. And for March 17th, uh, and I, I said, so this also is, I know what I want to tattoo on my body. If I ever get a tattoo, this is what I want tattooed on my body. Here we go. I think we need a password, or let's make that a past sentence. That way, in case you ever come to my door in an emergency and God and I are busy inside, we could then just shout, tell us the password, if you really want to snuggle. And part of the password will be you knowing it is really a past sentence. And here it is in all its glory and truth. Love kicks the ass of time and space. Upon hearing that, God and I would look at each other bewildered, but delighted. We would be glad someone had reached us with the golden key on their tongue. Though just to make sure we heard you right, we might say in unison, sing it loudly, baby. Come on, cut loose. We need to double check. And then if you did, a strength and smile might rise inside of you. And right next to my heart, you might be for a moment beaming like an eye that knows. Don't forget now. L-K-T-A-O-A-T-A-S. Love kicks the ass of time and space. Maybe even tattoo that somewhere so you will remember.
0: That's wonderful. (laughs) I'm going to go now. This this is fun to do. Uh, You you got me headed down a path i'm gonna be thinking the rest of the day about the end of the world well i'll
1: help you i'm a counterphobic six you know i got all, i got it planned out um but i also want to leave us okay. with the answer to any fill in the blank question with bill is always going to be a daily spiritual practice or use your blankers That's you
0: yeah. <laughs> love you bye bye love
1: you too